So Ruth chapter 2, page 188. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth and the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is a Moabitess who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over, and she had eaten enough after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his guy kindness to the living and the dead. 
She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they've finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvesters had finished, were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray, shall we, as we uh, come to reflect on God's word. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the peace that we enjoy in our society uh, and that uh, through that peace we pray that we would make use of it, that we would uh, exercise our freedoms and our liberties as Christians to worship you and uh, indeed to share the gospel uh, with others. Uh, We do pray for Christians in other parts of the world where they do not have that freedom, that uh, you would sustain them and that uh, they would be uh, bold in their perseverance uh, in the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word and the way that your word records for us how you dealt with your people of old. And uh, Father, we pray that as we come to think about the uh, story of uh, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, that uh, we would be mindful of your faithfulness to your people and uh, that we would be... um, uh, really drawn to be more more faithful towards you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the results of last week's tsunami of gambling are now in. Uh, Green Moon won the Melbourne Cup. Uh, four people collected uh, $28 million each on the Oz Lotto. Obama won the US election and the Reserve Bank decided to keep interest rates on hold. Uh, They were just some of the things that Aussies were gambling on in the last week. Uh, Whilst in Britain, you know what they were gambling on during the week? Well, the punters were taking bets on who would be named the next Archbishop of Canterbury until they actually closed the betting on it because there was a sudden surge of bets on one particular candidate and they suspected that church insiders knew who the person was and were opening up betting accounts. And they closed it down. That's called insider trading. Oh, what a fallen world we live in. What a fallen world. Um, One newspaper uh, published an article uh, about the Oz Lotto, and as I read it, I thought, this really reads like it was actually written by Oz Lotto. (laughs) Uh, It was not newsworthy. There was nothing of newsworthy significance in it. It uh, read like an advertisement for Oslotto. It uh, told you how much money you could win. It told you where you can buy your tickets from. It told you what (coughs) TV channel and at what time to watch in order to see the results. And so I I wrote to the newspaper... And I complained. I said, you know, give us news, but frankly, uh, what you published was just a shameful advertisement for the gambling industry. Uh, To my surprise, the editor wrote back and, uh, you know, said, well, thank you very much for your comments. 
Um, they actually promised me a follow-up article on some of the points that I raised about the problems of gambling. I look forward to that follow-up article, we'll see. And then uh, said, uh, we respect your views, but we also respect that people have the right to dream of financial security, which was actually not the complaint that I'd made, although I do hold that as a complaint as well. But it seems to me that that is what the issue is about, because for many people, it's that dream, isn't it? It's the dream of being uh, free of debt. Uh, it's the dream of being free from financial anxiety. Uh, it's the dream of being free from the drudgery of work. Most of us can... Can you understand that dream? <laughs> of course you can. Of course we can. I mean, we may not try to sort it out through gambling. I hope that we don't try to sort it out through gambling. Although I was in a church one day when they were collecting, they were, they were um, <clears throat> counting the offertory and they found a lotto, t someone to put a lotto ticket in. <laughs> and the minister said, let's just pray we don't win. <laughs> but uh, you, know, you know what it's like, don't you, when you, 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 know, you, you get the bills, you, you, you see the bill that says electricity bill and your kind of heart sinks as you think, as you're opening that up thinking, am I going to be able to afford to pay this this month? Uh, we know what it's like to, uh, to struggle with uh, paying bills. We know what it's like uh, when you think about your superannuation and you kind of think to yourself, hang on a moment, how long can I actually afford to live for? <laughs> uh, it's like that. That's life in this world. But what is true security? And how can true security be found? Our two widows in the book of Ruth faced that very issue. You might want to have your Bibles open at uh, Ruth chapter 2 on page 188. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, but last week we saw that Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth had both lost their husbands. And that in a culture where, as I mentioned last week, the only occupation open to a woman was to be a mother, to be a wife, marriage. And so to be a widow could very well mean destitution. Uh, the dream of financial security would be just that. It would be simply a dream, a pipe dream. And so because Naomi lived in Moab, remember Moab, a Gentile territory, because Naomi lived in Moab, she decided to to go back home to Israel, and indeed to her town of Bethlehem. And although her daughter-in-law Ruth was from Moab, and she was a Gentile, she said, look, I'm coming with you. Um, no ifs, no buts, I won't hear of it. I'm coming with you. I want to look after you. And uh, then she said in that beautiful quote, she said, for your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Now, that was a good move, really, because Israel was governed by the law of God. And you know what our God is like? Our God is a compassionate God. Uh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the true God, is the God who cares for the poor. He is the God who looks after the refugee 
He's the God who loves and is compassionate towards the widow and the orphan. And so in Ruth chapter 2, we see that compassion of God uh, very clearly on display. Uh, we see it in the opening verses, in the first four verses, where we are introduced to a, na- to a man named Boaz. Now, there are two things about Boaz which will radically change this story and radically change the lives of these two women. The first thing about Boaz is this. The first thing is that Boaz is a close relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. That's very important. And the second thing is that Boaz, we're told, is a man of standing. And we know that's expressed by the fact that he actually owns a a successful farm. So he's a relative of Elimelech and he's a man of standing. And here at the beginning of the chapter, Ruth goes to his farm. Now, she doesn't know that it's his farm. She just goes to a farm which, from her point of view, it's just the farm that she, you know, she might think it was random, although, as we'll see later, and someone else had other ideas about that, it wasn't quite random. But from her perspective, she just went randomly to a farm. And in verse 3, she began to glean the fields. Now, we tend to think of social security systems as something which we've invented, just a recent sort of Western kind of idea. But no, Israel had social security system. Israel had God's social security system. And because God is a compassionate God, he made it law, he enshrined it in his law that the poor should be looked after. We see that one of the verses we see that in is uh, Leviticus chapter 19. You might want to just turn to Leviticus chapter 19 for a moment and uh, you'll find it on page 85. And uh, in uh, verses 9 and 10, uh, let me read it for you. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, page 85. This is what God's law says. um, And it's addressing people who are... It's an agricultural kind of society and God's law says this. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your fields uh, or, gather, or gather the gleanings of the harvest. Now, gleanings, that's kind of like the leftover stuff. So don't harvest on the, on the periphery of your fields. Don't gather up the leftover stuff. It goes on to say, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen uh, because you are to leave those for the poor and the aliens, the refugees. And the reason? For I am Yahweh, the Lord. I am the Lord God. I am Yahweh, God. It's part of God's character to be compassionate. And so what it means is that a farmer must allow poor people onto his property. He doesn't have a fence and a gate there that says no poor people get out. Trespassers will be... No, he must allow the poor onto his farm in order to to go around the edges and to harvest the, uh, the, the grains, the stalks that are around the edges of his property and to go and pick up the scraps after the harvesters have been through. Now, that's exactly what Ruth does here. Now, did you notice uh, that when Mark read it, that Boaz, it turns out, he's actually a godly man. 
Um, you see it in verse 4, don't you? Because he arrives back from town. He's been in Bethlehem. If he was living to that these days, he might have been in Bethlehem to go to the bank or see his accountant or something like that. You know, farmers are business people. But he's arrived back from Bethlehem, and it turns up at his farm, and look, how does he, when he sees his workers, how does he greet them? What does he say? He says to them, the Lord be with you. And how do they respond back to him? They say... The Lord bless you. How about that, eh? It's a nice touch, isn't it? Imagine tomorrow morning you turn up at work, you, at the school or the office or the, wherever you work, and if you work, and uh, you walk in the door and the, the boss greets you by saying, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. You think, not likely. <laughs> You'd have to be working for a godly person, wouldn't you? And that's, that's who Boaz is. So right at the beginning, we learn something of um, the godliness of this man. And when he spots a young lady gleaning on his property, he's curious. Have a look at verse 5. In verse 5, uh, he, he says, um, Boaz, he's seen this lady, and Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? And the foreman replied, Well, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. That's who she is. Uh, Boaz has he's just come back from town. Uh, chances are he'd caught up on the latest, uh, especially in the news that after one decade that Naomi had returned and that she'd come back with her daughter-in-law. And guess what? Here she is. There she is on Boaz's farm, gleaning. And so what we see as this story unfolds in verses 5 through to 18 is that Boaz especially blesses uh, Ruth. Now, let me show you how. We'll just go through the passage just briefly, just a plotted summary, and I've put some verse numbers down there for you on your outlines. In verse 8... Uh, he speaks to, to her and he especially makes her feel welcome. Uh, so, to, so much so that he says, look, uh, please stay on my property. Please keep on gleaning from me. I really, really, really want you to do that. So that's pretty welcoming, isn't it? You can imagine she's a stranger, she's a foreigner, she's not quite sure how, but she's very welcomed uh, by uh, Boaz. That's verse 8. Verse 9, Boaz protects Ruth um, because he instructs the men that are working on the property. He says, look, keep your hands off her. Don't touch her. Um, young, younger widows in any society, um, even in our own society, can be very vulnerable, can't they? Uh, I, I, I've seen you know, situations that just made me feel very, very sad uh, where you've, um, you, you've had a young woman who... Uh, enjoys the, uh, uh, the security and the, the dignity of being married um, you know, to, a, to a godly man. And uh, then, you know, in the Lord's ways, uh, he's taken and the, the husband dies and the woman can then find herself uh, being in, in an awful position of actually being thought of by others differently to the way she was before. 
Right? Um, I've heard of other women becoming suspicious, you know, of the widow. Uh, I've heard of situations where the the widow then finds herself being treated cheaply by men, uh, with uh, men actually, you know, making passes uh, at at the woman and so on. So she goes from that position of dignity of life being very, very stable and feeling secure and so on to feeling so vulnerable, quite apart from the whole economic thing and the emotional issues that she's dealing with. And so Boaz protected Ruth. And then in verse 9, he invited her to help herself to the drinking water. Didn't have to do that. Um, Verse 10, he goes further. And he actually invites her to sit at the table and to eat the food that he's provided for his hired workers. Uh, And in verse 15, as if all of that's not enough, he then speaks to his harvesters and he says, look, I actually want you, once you've harvested some of the, uh, the, the, uh, the barley stalks, take the stalks out of the sheaves and drop them on the ground so that Ruth can come and pick up those barley stalks. Now, God's law had said that Boaz should allow people like, uh, like Ruth to, to glean his field. It's interesting sometimes to think about people's attitude towards God's law, isn't it? Because, you know, you can obey God's law, but for different motivations. Um, What was Boaz's attitude towards the law of God with respect to Ruth? Uh, Do you think it was, A, was this his attitude? Was his attitude was, was it A, I'll just try to get around obeying the law? Don't think so, was it? Uh, Was it B, um, I'll let her glean because I have to, let her glean? Uh, Was it C, Um, I'll let her glean because it'll save me the trouble of uh, sending people to pick up the scraps? Or was it D, I'll let her glean because I actually want to bless her and God is a God of compassion and God has compassion for the widows? It's obviously D, isn't it? That was his attitude towards the law of God and that's the kind of attitude that we ought to have uh, towards obeying God and doing so out of heartfelt thanks that God has actually richly blessed us and we want to bless other people um, as well. Uh, Ruth was an outsider. She was a widow. She was a Moabite S, a Gentile. And so she was very much on the social fringe uh, in Israelite society and indeed in that little society around that farm. But what Boaz has done is he's taken her... uh, out, he's taken her from the fringe and he's brought her into the centre. Uh, and he said, you know, I'm going to treat you as one of us. Uh, sit at my table, eat my food, drink my drink. You're one of us. Now, why did he do this? I mean, he, all he had to do really was just let her glean. Um, why, was he, why did he treat her so special? Well, the, um, you know, the commentators say, well, maybe, you know, maybe it was because she was good-looking. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't discount the uh, possibility that even 
you know, he's a bloke and uh, even though he doesn't, may not even realise it of himself that he's treating her a little bit differently than he might treat other people because of, uh, because he's attracted to her. I just want you to hold that thought till we get to chapter 3. Could you do that for me? Um, and we'll, we'll have a look at what happened on the threshing floor next week. Um, but um, the, this chapter actually tells us uh, why he did it because in verses 11 and 12, you see in verse 10, um, Ruth herself asked him, you know, why was he treating her so nicely? And in verse 11, Boaz replied, I've, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love that little that picture there, that last line, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I was in uh, Canberra the other day at the ANU, which has got a lot of ponds and that sort of things, and uh, thank you to my mobile phone for just reminding me of something. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this mother duck, and the little ducklings all kind of following her and... You know, if, and if they felt under threat, where would they head? They'd head straight under her wings. That's a cute kind of picture. Think not cute, think strength. Think a powerful eagle and the eagle uh, covering her chicks with her powerful, strong, protective arms. And that's the picture that we get uh, in throughout the Bible. In fact... Uh, there's a beautiful psalm, it's uh, Psalm 91, uh, which the opening verses read like this. It, it says, if, if you want to check it out, it's on page 424, but uh, otherwise just listen. Uh, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It's lovely, isn't it? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Get the idea there? And friends, that is an image which we see, an image of God and his compassion and his protection that we see most clearly expressed in the gospel. Uh, that, that God's own son should, should stand between us and judgment and should absorb uh, that judgment upon himself as a shield so that we uh, are not judged. And of course, he has done so by dying for us on the cross. I wonder if you have trusted in Jesus. I wonder if you have found your refuge and your protection and your safety uh, under, his, under his wings by trusting in what he's done for you on the cross.
Back to the story. Um, Ruth's an interesting character. Do you think that Ruth thought that she deserved to be blessed? I mean, you can understand it if she might have thought that way. You, you, there'd be some people who might say, well, hey, God, you owe me big time. Uh, look at what I have sacrificed for you. I've left my mother and my father's home. I've left my own land in order to look after uh, Naomi, who's one of your people, a Jewess. You owe me big time. Now, there'd be some people with an arrogant attitude like that, but not Ruth, because although, although Boaz wants to look after her because of what she has done, and he says, you deserve to be looked after, we see how she responds to that uh, in verse 13, where she's actually quite humble, and she's saying, oh, I don't deserve this. You know, uh, I'm not one of your, your people. I'm not one of your hired help. Uh, I don't actually deserve the way that you're blessing me. But Boaz wanted her to be blessed. You know, he's the guy that uh, arrives back from town and, you know, says to his workers, the Lord be with you, and they're talking about blessing, God blessing each other and so on. And it's very easy for someone to say, you know, God bless you. Do you say God bless you to people sometimes? I, I do quite often and, uh, I, I, and I genuinely mean it. But to say to someone, you know, may the Lord bless you, uh, that's easy. You know what's even better than saying to a person, may God bless you? What's even better is to make yourself available to be the very agent through whom God blesses that person. And so to give of yourself generously towards that person. Um, and uh, that's the kind of person that Boaz is. So, it was a good day out on the farm for Ruth. And uh, when she came back home, she's staying at uh, Naomi's family place, I guess. When she came home that night, she carried with her uh, one ephah, which I think is 22 litres of grain, and I've got no idea how much that weighs. I tried to work it out, but I couldn't. I don't, but you get the picture, don't you? 22 litres of grain, that's a good amount of barley. And these people were not you know, dreaming of financial security. These were two widows who were dreaming of having food in their stomach that night. And they've certainly been blessed with that. But in verse 19, something is revealed which gives fresh hope. Let me read it for you. Verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Ah, this is a good moment for Naomi. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, that phrase, kinsman redeemer, is a game changer in this story. Uh, it's got to do with real estate. Now, real estate 
in Israel, the real estate business was a little bit different to the real estate business in Port Macquarie in the 21st century. Remember, when God's people entered into the promised land, crossed over the Jordan, settled the, the land of Canaan, God carved up the territory between the different tribes and people were allotted land. That land was God, is God's land. It was a gift to them. You don't uh, get rid of gifts uh, very, you know, just, just willy-nilly. And so it was important that as God's gift that real estate remained in the same families. It actually was acknowledging that it's God's gift. Now, if a man became poor, he could sell off a block of land um, and he would sell it off preferably to a, to a close relative to keep the land in the family. And the close relative was called a kinsman, that's, that means relative, doesn't it? A kinsman redeemer. Now, why redeemer? Well, in the event that he sells off the block of land to someone who is outside of the family, if a close relative, if a kinsman redeemer later found out about that, the kinsman redeemer uh, would be able to purchase back the property from the purchaser so that the land remained in the family and the, purchase, the, the purchaser would have to sell it uh, to him. Now, I imagine that uh, uh, the possibility of a kinsman redeemer turning up and buying the property back might be factored into the, the, the purchase price uh, when it was sold. But in Leviticus chapter 25, um, so that's Leviticus chapter 25 that he could uh, purchase it back. Um, but even if a kinsman redeemer did not purchase the land back, um, land um, purchases in Israel were only ever temporary. Uh, in Israel, every 50 years they celebrated the year of Jubilee. Now, uh, the idea of the, the, the year of Jubilee was that as a, as a society they kind of pressed the reset button on society and things reverted back. So that in the year of Jubilee all slaves were set free. In the year of Jubilee, all debts written off. In the year of Jubilee, all land returns to the original family that owned the land. The reset button was pressed on society. And you know what? It sounds a little, bit about, a little bit like what Jesus has done, doesn't it? Uh, because on the cross, what, what's happened? God presses the reset button so that our debt to God cancelled, our slavery to sin set free, a fresh start in life given to all who put their trust in what Christ has done on the cross so Jesus actually is the Jubilee. He is the fulfilment of the year of Jubilee. But guess what? Jesus is also our kinsman redeemer. Because we were slaves to Satan. We were slaves to sin. And what he's done is he's purchased us back. He's paid the price 
the price of his own son, uh, of his own blood. So that Jesus, our brother, is our redeemer. Fully God, fully man, he's our brother, he's our kinsman, and he has redeemed us from Satan. Jesus is the fulfilment of the kinsman redeemer. Well, when Naomi heard that Boaz was the one who had met and who had blessed Ruth, that was kind of a light bulb moment for her. You see, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer on Naomi's husband's side of the family. And her husband, her late husband Elimelech, used to own some property which upon his death would have passed on down to his son, uh, Ruth's late husband. And now that land could be offered up for sale and guess who would buy it? The kinsman redeemer, Boaz, would buy that land. And guess what comes with the land as a bit of an added bonus? Anyone want to have a guess at this? You buy the land, guess what comes with the land? Yes, Lachlan? The servants. Better than the servants, Lachlan? The wife. The woman. The woman comes with the land. Now you think, well, how does that work? I mean, uh, you know, is she just part of her late husband's goods and chattels to be kind of sold off? Like, No. There is a very good reason as to why the woman comes with the land and I'm going to leave that reason till next week and the week after. So just hold that thought. There's a very, very good reason why that happens. But at the moment, well, all you need to know is that there is now a plan, that Naomi has a plan. And her plan involves Boaz getting the land and the woman. It involves Ruth uh, getting a godly husband. And it involves Naomi getting looked after. So it's what you call a win-win-win kind of plan and we're going to see how that unfolds next week and the week after. But I want to just uh, talk for a moment uh, about luck because some people might say, well, this is a great story. It looks like Naomi and Ruth, they just got lucky that uh, Ruth just happened by coincidence, to turn up at the farm to glean, the farm that belonged to Boaz. That it was just good luck that uh, Boaz happened to come back from town and uh, happened to do so at the time when uh, Ruth was there in view. So these two women, it looks like they're pretty lucky kind of people. Do you think the Bible teaches the concept of luck? No, it doesn't. Because luck is an ungodly concept. Uh, luck uh, is, a, is the idea that, uh, uh, that, that everything is just random. That, uh, that uh, luck, if you, if you have luck, if you want to think of luck and God uh, and have the two coexisting, you'd have to think of a God who kind of created the world and kind of wound it up and then, you know, set it into motion and then withdrew and just sort of lets, just watches and sees how everything unfolds. Um, you know, let the chips fall as they'll fall kind of thing. 
And that's an ungodly concept. Uh, It's meaningless. Uh, It uh, has no purpose. And, And it's untrue because our world is governed by a sovereign God, a God who does not leave things to chance. Uh, And uh, Paul himself talks about this, doesn't he, in Romans 8, where he says that in all things, um, hard things, joyful things, difficult things, challenging things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So that God is active in our lives God is working through the circumstances of our life to bring about what he wants for us, which may not be that we become super wealthy. It might be that we actually learn to trust him more and to love him more and to change our character, to be more humble and more gracious. Now, for Ruth and Naomi, it seems that the dark clouds of life are now starting to clear saw some dark clouds clearing earlier on this morning. uh, They've come back over again. But the dark clouds of these women's lives were very dark because they had lost three men. Naomi had lost a husband and two sons. Uh, Ruth had lost uh, a a husband, a brother-in-law and a father-in-law. And without God, their future was more bleak than what we can possibly imagine. They needed financial help. That was their need. But God doesn't promise to give us the financial security that the world craves after because you know what? There's no such thing. Uh, In reality, on the last day, it all evaporates in any case. What God does promise is that if we, like Ruth, seek our shelter under his strong and protective wings then we will be greatly blessed. Uh, If you're a person who has trusted in Jesus as your kinsman redeemer, you have received, as Paul says in Colossians, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. You're the one who's been blessed by the Lord with blessings that our world cannot possibly imagine. You've been blessed with a relationship with the one who is the creator, the ruler uh, and, the, and the sustainer of the universe. You've been blessed with a relationship with the one who loves you so much and cares for you that he will sustain you through the trials and difficulties of life in such a way that you will, you will make it to the end as someone who uh, loves the Lord Jesus. He loves you so much and has blessed you so much that he's given you a relationship with himself now and a relationship that will continue through all of eternity. How about that, eh? There is no greater blessing than that. And you know what? He wants us to be the kind of people that Boaz was. He wants us to be the kind of people who want to share the blessings that he's given us with others. You know what that means, don't you? It means share your life. Share the good things that God has given you. Most of all, it means sharing the good news about our one who is the personification of the year of Jubilee, about that one who is the kinsman redeemer who can purchase them back so that they can share the great blessings that we enjoy.
Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, uh, great uh, picture of your compassion and your sovereignty in this uh, wonderful chapter of your word. We thank you for Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, that he's paid the purchase price. Father, we thank you that uh, he is the one who stands between us and judgment and has borne that judgment on himself, who is our, our shield and our protector. Father, we pray that uh, we would be people who seek to bless others. Uh, give us opportunities and give us openness that uh, we would give of ourselves freely in the way that you've given so freely of yourself. Father, we pray that you'd help us to help others to be blessed by you and to get to know Jesus, their jubilee, their kinsman redeemer. And We pray these things in his name. Amen.